Well, a very happy Sabbath to each one of you. And it's been my privilege to be here at the Northern Idaho Regional Camp Meeting this week. As I said on Thursday when I first spoke, this is my first time to Idaho and I have been greatly impressed. I very much enjoyed my time here. And I even had a chance to slip over into Montana where I'd never been either. Saw Kootenai Falls, saw some people from camp meeting here. And the Lord has been good. And I think I've certainly been blessed by the other presenters as well. And I believe that the Lord has been moving in a powerful way to prepare a people for the coming of Jesus. Before we get into our message for this morning, I would invite you to bow your heads with me for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we know that we are living in momentous times. We believe with all of our hearts that Jesus is coming soon. And Lord, I pray that as we've gathered to get today on this high Sabbath of camp meeting, that today would be a day that you would move in a powerful way through the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts with the conviction of our need for Jesus and of our conviction of the nearness of his coming. And I pray that we would not allow another Sabbath and another camp meeting to go by without making it clear in our minds a firm decision to have given all of our heart to Jesus. And I pray that you will speak through me this morning to give just the words that are needed. And so be with us now, this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title for our message this morning is High Time to Wake Up. And I want to start in Romans chapter 13 in a very familiar passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 13, verse 11, which says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Friends, if you are sleeping now, now is the time to wake up because Jesus is coming soon. It's way too late to be a Seventh-day Adventist sound asleep in a world of sin. It's way too late in this earth's history to be a Seventh-day Adventist consumed by the cares of this life. Jesus is coming soon. The signs are all around us. And God is looking for a group of people who will wake up from a Laodicean slumber and go forth to meet the bridegroom. Continuing on in Romans 13, it says, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. In other words, what this passage is saying is, as we wake up from our sleep, let us put on the righteousness of Christ. Let us stop making provision for the flesh. Let us stop 
having a plan B in our mind where we say, well, if I don't follow the Lord, I have plan B where I'll go off according to the flesh and I have a game plan to fulfill the carnal desires of my heart. God is not looking for Seventh-day Adventists who have a backup plan at this late day of Earth's history. God is looking for Seventh-day Adventists who will wake up and rise up like an army to go forth and to meet Jesus, who will put on Christ and His righteousness. And as we talk about a sleeping church, we go to the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 24 and again in Matthew chapter 25. And I'm well aware that Pastor St. Hilaire spoke about the parable of the bridegroom opening night. I was not here, but we talked about it, and I'm going to share some thoughts as well. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is approached by his disciples, asking about the signs of his coming and of the end of the world. Because in the, the mind of the disciples, they believed that the destruction of Jerusalem would be the end of the world. And Jesus gives a variety of signs and gives a, a number of signs that tell us of what to expect before Jesus comes back. And all of Matthew chapter 24, basically from verse 5 onward, and all of chapter 25 are letters in red. So these are the words of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 44, Jesus began, he begins to describe the condition of his church just before he comes back. Let's start in Matthew chapter 24, verse 44. Therefore be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. In other words, Jesus is saying, Be ye also ready, for an hour that you think not, I am coming back. And there is a blessing for my servants, who, as they lead out among God's people, as they see that Jesus is coming soon, they give meat in due season. They give spiritual food that is appropriate for the time that we are living in. You know, God needs more wise servants among the Seventh-day Adventist church today. Do you realize that at this time of earth's history, God needs more messengers to rise up and to give meat in due season? Because friends, let me tell you something. We are far past the time where we should be hearing pleasant truth and feel-good sermons and itching ear sermons and sermonettes for Christianettes. Friends, it is far past time for that. Jesus is coming soon, and there is a message for this time to wake up a sleeping church. And Jesus says, blessed is that wise servant who gives meat in due season, who gives what we would call present truth. 
truth that is appropriate and relevant for this time. And friends, listen, I mentioned this two days ago in my opening message, but these are no ordinary times to be alive. We are a church in crisis. We are a church that is becoming divided over how to interpret Scripture. We are a church that in many ways show a division in our understanding of how to follow what Jesus says, and it's showing up in how we live our lives and our lifestyle and practice, and it makes you wonder, how could one church house two companies of people that view inspiration so differently? We are a church in crisis. And as we come up to this general conference session, which I believe to be the, momentous, the most momentous general conference in my lifetime and probably since 1901 or 1888, friends, we need to be praying earnestly that the Holy Spirit is going to move in a powerful way at that session. God promises that there will be wise servants who give me in due season. But not only that, we continue reading. It says, Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all, all his goods. Verse 48. But, but and if that evil, heart, evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming. Notice there are wise servants and evil servants. The wise servant is giving a message appropriate for the time, identifying that Jesus is coming soon and that if we're not watching, we won't be ready when he comes. But the evil servant, he's not saying openly, but he's saying in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. Now I want to submit to you today that in this section of scripture, there are three classes of Adventists. There are wise servants there are evil servants, and there are foolish virgins. Because when you read the section on the wise and the evil servants, you may come away saying, well, hey, I believe Jesus is coming soon, so I'm wise. But we're going to see that a theoretical knowledge of truth is not enough. But the evil servant says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. Now, most Adventists that I have met are not openly out there saying, oh, Jesus isn't going to come for another thousand years. There's a few that are a little bit bold like that. I've met them, but most aren't saying that. But they're saying it where? In their heart. And guess what? When you say in your heart, my Lord delays his coming, how are you going to live your life? Are you going to be living your life with a watchful expectation, looking at the signs around you, looking for the coming of Jesus? Or are you going to become taken over by the ways of this world? Notice what the next verse says in verse 49. And shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with a drunken. Now notice this. You have wise servants giving a message that is appropriate for the time saying, Jesus is coming soon. It is time for us as Seventh-day Adventists to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. But the evil servant, he's not saying it openly, but in his heart he's saying, my Lord delays his coming. But what is his response to the messengers that give the message of the nearness of the coming of Jesus? 
So as he smites his fellow servant. <clears throat> One way to know, by their fruits you shall know them. One way to know who the evil servants are in the church are people in the church who resist the preaching and the proclamation and the teaching of the three angels' messages. If you have people in the church who resist the proclamation of the three angels' messages, that tells me, according to Scripture, according to the words of Jesus, that in their heart, they are saying, Jesus isn't coming anytime soon. Please don't talk from Scripture about the coming of Jesus. That is an evil servant. And it says that they, fought, they smite the fellow servant and they eat and drink with the drunken. Now, in a prophetic sense, they are eating and drinking with those who are drunk, those who are drunk with the wine of Babylon. And let me tell you something. The evil servants who are resisting the proclamation of the three angels' messages, they're drinking the wine of Babylon, meaning they have come under the influence of the theology of Babylon. And Jesus tells us very clearly, before he comes back in his church, he will have wise messengers who will be proclaiming the soon coming of Jesus. Yet at the same time, there are going to be servants or messengers who start to to imbibe the wine of Babylon. They become inebriated or intoxicated with the wine of Babylon, and so they don't want to hear about the coming of Jesus. And friends, now is the time for us as God's people to rise up and in the spirit of Christ, proclaim the meat in due season that Christ has given to this church to proclaim. Because listen, if we as Seventh-day Adventists put down the banner of the three angels' messages, we've lost our purpose for existence. If your church is not proclaiming the three angels' messages, it does not have a purpose for its existence. God has raised us up to give meat in due season. He has raised us up to be wise servants, not to be evil servants. And then we see in verses 50 and 51 that the evil servants will be cut off and thrown out with the hypocrites. So you may be saying, boy, I'm so thankful that I'm not an evil servant. I believe the three angels' messages. I believe that Jesus is coming again. And I believe that I'll be ready when he comes. But I'm going to show you here shortly that there is more to our message and to being ready than having a theoretical understanding. Let me read you a couple of interesting statements. The first one comes from... Last Day Events, page 172. You can also find it in Selected Messages, volume 2, page 114. And this is basically covering the same concept of the wise and the evil servant. Ellen White says, Divisions will come in the church. Two parties will be developed. The wheat and tares will grow up together for the harvest. Now, friends, I'm only 37 going on 38, but I can tell you within the last 10 years, this statement is becoming more and more true. 
that two parties are developing within the church. And God is going to do the work of sifting. It's not for us to do that work, but it is becoming clearer and clearer that divisions have come into the church and that two parties have developed, which is a fulfillment of prophecy. Now let me read you another familiar statement. This is from Testimonies, volume 5, page 136. When the religion of Christ is most held in contempt, when his law is most despised, then should our zeal be the warmest and our courage and firmness the most unflinching. To stand in defense of truth and righteousness when the majority forsake us, to fight the battles of the Lord when champions are few, this will be our test. At this time, we must gather warmth from the coldness of others, courage from their cowardice, and loyalty from their treason. The nation will be on the side of the great rebel leader. The test will surely come. And friends, it is surely coming. Are you gathering warmth from the coldness of others? Courage from their cowardice? Loyalty from their treason? Listen, now at this time, as we see these divisions coming within the church, one of the temptations that Satan will bring to the faithful is to develop a spirit of bitterness towards those with whom you disagree. And I've even been in church services where people have expressed anger and frustration towards a message that they've been hearing, and they don't have the Spirit of Christ as they're trying to defend the truth. Friends, we need to have the Spirit of Christ as we stand for the truth. Because one of the ways that God's cause gains reproach is when we go out to defend the truth with the spirit of the devil. And then people say, I don't want to be anything like that kind of an Adonis. But God is looking for a group who will stand in defense of truth and righteousness when the majority forsake us. Now, I'm going to read to you a statement from Review and Herald, August 19, 1890. And this segues into the very next verse of Scripture after Matthew 24 as we get into the parable of the ten virgins. Review and Herald, August 19, 1890. When the third angel's message is preached as it should be, Power attends its proclamation and it becomes an abiding influence. It must be attended with divine power or it will accomplish nothing. I am often referred to the parable of the ten virgins, five of whom were wise and five foolish. This parable has been and will be fulfilled to the very letter for it has a special application to this time. And like the third angel's message has been fulfilled and will continue to be present truth till the close of time. And I believe the Holy Spirit moved upon Pastor St. Hilaire to speak about this Wednesday night and again the Sabbath morning because this parable describes God's church right now. And we need to come face to face with the reality of who we are in that parable. Are we wise or are we foolish? Now I pray there aren't any evil servants in this congregation today who are saying in their heart that my Lord delays his coming. I pray that all of you are looking with eager anticipation for the coming of Jesus. That at least takes you out of the category of an evil servant. 
but it doesn't guarantee that you're a wise virgin. You could still be foolish. And this parable has been fulfilled and will continue to be present truth till the close of time. It was initially fulfilled through the Millerite movement and ever since 1844 through the Second Advent movement, through the Seventh-day Adventist movement, this parable has continued to be present truth. And in this parable you have ten virgins who are all sleeping. And some of you may be saying, I'm not sleeping. I'm ready for Jesus to come. Well, praise the Lord, but let me tell you something. When Jesus describes his last day church, he says that all ten virgins are sleeping. Now, how could that be? Let me just paint for you a hypothetical scenario. Now let me hasten to add, I am not making any predictions here. But let's just imagine that later this coming week, some major cataclysmic, catastrophic event, whether it be a nuclear bomb or a major earthquake or whatever it could be, erupts upon the scene of this world, the likes of which the world has never seen. And the Pope is uniquely positioned to come in to say it's time to get back to God as he brings in this encyclical. And you have the Protestants of this nation that, have, that are saying, you know what, we have been wandering away from God. Look at us. We've been pushing for gay marriage and all of these things. And God is pouring out his judgments on our land. It is time for us to get back to God. And as prophecy tells us, through the popular demand of the people, it's not a backroom deal that's going to happen, by the way. Through the popular demand of the people, the legislators will accede to their demands to enforce Sunday worship. And by a week or two from now, the event that we've so long doubted and disbelieved, namely Sunday legislation, comes before this nation and we are face to face with the reality that we are at the end of the world. Are you ready for that? Because let me tell you something. We as God's people have been preaching the nearness of the coming of Jesus for a long time, and yet we have this mentality, occupied till he comes. And so I'll tell you what, I'm going to get on an airplane tomorrow morning, and I'm going to fly back to my home in Tennessee, and on Monday morning I'm going to work. And I'm going to work on Tuesday morning, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday. And I'm not expecting anything to happen of such a nature that I wouldn't be working by Thursday of this coming week. You see what I'm saying? And the reason why we are all sleeping is that we may be a pure people, but we are not in a state of high alert that the end of the world is right here. Now let me tell you, there are enough things happening in the world around us now that we should be starting to wake up and wipe the sleep off our eyes now. I talked about this two days ago. You have all this water turning red, 120,000 antelope dying over near Russia, and the Pope saying that we need to bring uh, healing to this wound of division between Protestants and Catholics. Friends, this is prophetic. 
but we are sleeping as a people. And let's look at Matthew chapter 25. And let me read you a couple of statements before I get there. This is, I'll just read one. Testimonies, volume 8, page 28. Transgression has almost reached its limit. Confusion fills the world, and a great terror is soon to come upon human beings. The end is very near. We who know the truth should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. Are you preparing? Are you living life business as usual? Are you cutting short your devotions, busy with the cares of this life, plopped on the couch at night watching TV, hardly thinking about the soon coming of Jesus? It's too late in the day, friends, to be living that way. Jesus is coming soon. Let's look at the description of Jesus, of his church, in Matthew chapter 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Jesus describes his kingdom, which is his church, as ten virgins. And a woman in scripture represents a church, and a virgin is a pure woman. This is the pure woman of Revelation 12 that's clothed in white. And this is his pure church, and they have their lamps, which is the scripture. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is a Bible-believing church. They believe the truths of scripture. They aren't doubting the, the account of Genesis chapters 1 through 11 of a six-day creation and a seventh-day Sabbath rest and of a universal flood that destroyed this world. They've got that figured out. They're not questioning the truth of 1844. They believe Daniel 8.14, that unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. They haven't been swayed by higher criticism that calls into question the plainest reading of Scripture, whatever it may be, including the role of men and women in the family and in the church. They're not swayed by that. They have their lamps, and they're going forth to meet the bridegroom, meaning Jesus, who is the bridegroom, is coming back. So this is a Bible-believing church at the end of the world who is expecting the second advent of Jesus. Friends, this is describing the Seventh-day Adventist movement. This is describing the Bible-believing truth believing Seventh-day Adventist movement that is pure. It's a pure church, a Bible-believing church that believes in the soon coming of Jesus. And if you stopped right there, you would say, boy, they're in good shape. They have their Bibles, they believe Jesus is coming, and they're going forth to meet him. They're not like those evil servants that are saying in their heart, oh, my Lord, delays is coming. Jesus probably won't come in my lifetime. I hope my children grow up before Jesus comes back. They're not living that way. They believe Jesus is coming soon. But yet, verse 2 says, five of them were wise and five were foolish. It's amazing that despite the fact that all ten of them 
have a clear understanding of the truths of Scripture, only five of them were wise. Only five are ready to meet Jesus. And friends, as I look out at this congregation today, I'm telling you, as sure as I am standing here today, that some of us are wise and some of us are foolish. And by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit needs to work on your heart and your conscience that if you are foolish, now is the time to get out of that state of foolishness. God in his great mercy has tarried a long time so that he can save as many as he can. And so here we see five were wise, five were foolish. Now we understand what goes on here. Verse 3, they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now notice this. They all had the lamps. And the lamp gives light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so the foolish somehow think that if they somehow just hang on to the truths of Scripture, lacking the oil won't be such a big deal. Now we understand from Zechariah chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 that you have these, lamp, these pipes from olive trees that are coming into a bowl and Zerubbabel asks the meaning of what this is and he's told not by might nor by power but by my spirit saith the Lord of hosts. So the oil represents the Holy Spirit. Now we could talk a lot about what the Holy Spirit represents to God's last day church. But somehow, among God's Bible-believing people, there are a group within the church, the foolish virgins, who are destitute of the Holy Spirit. Somehow they think that the truths of Scripture alone will be enough to get them through into the kingdom of heaven, and that lacking the Holy Spirit, somehow they leave that out of their lives. You know, what ends up happening to those who have the truths of Scripture but they lack the Holy Spirit? Here's what happens. When we use the Bible without the aid of the Holy Spirit, without the softening, subduing grace of His Spirit, the Bible can actually turn into a weapon where we beat people over the head with it. And we beat people over, don't you know what the Bible says? Don't you know you need to do this? Don't you know you need to do that? Don't you know this and this? And we've all seen it happen. And you know why it's happening? is because the messenger is lacking the oil. Now, on the other hand, there's others who say, I'm tired of the boundaries of this lamp that defines what truth is. I just like the oil because the oil gives power. And so they try to have the Holy Spirit without the truth, but the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. So if you throw the truth out, you're really throwing the Holy Spirit out. And so you get this oil without boundaries and you get messy everywhere. And that's why we see all these Christian rock stuff and weirdness coming into our churches, which Ellen White says, would come in just before the close of probation. That's not the moving of the Holy Spirit, friends. The foolish have no oil. The wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now I want to make you think about something here. In John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5, as Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, 
Speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But then in verse 5, he makes it even clearer. He says, except a man be born of water and of what? The Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. When we talk about the oil of the Holy Spirit, we are talking about the new birth experience. We're talking about being converted. We're talking about being Christ-like. Like being, we're talking about being kind and gentle and a loving and lovable Christian where not only do we have the intellectual, theological knowledge of the truth as it is in Jesus, but the truth as it is in Jesus has touched our hearts as we see what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Our hearts are melted and as we see Jesus who is our hope, we say, I want to go forth to meet the bridegroom who has touched my heart, who has touched my life, who has forgiven me for the record of the sins of my past, and who is empowering me with this new birth experience to live his life by faith even now. Friends, don't let anybody deceive you. The most powerful thing that could be possible as a Seventh-day Adventist at this day of Earth's history is to be a truth-believing, converted Seventh-day Adventist. Don't throw out the truth and say, let's just love everyone, it doesn't matter what you believe. But don't, on the other hand, say, I'm just going to believe the truth no matter what, and you're angry and you're, you're bitter as you stand for the truth. In either case, you're in bad shape. The most powerful thing that God's people can have is the converted experience where the righteousness of Christ shines forth through our lives so that the oil of the Holy Spirit is seen evidenced in the life that we live so that when we proclaim the truth, people can see that the truth has transformed us into the likeness of Jesus. Amen. And those are the wise virgins. Now let me show you something from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Because the, the wise virgins took extra oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now notice, the lamp is the word of God. So what is the vessel? 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7 shows us. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in what? Earthen vessels. That's the body that God has given us, the life that God has given us, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And let me keep reading. Verse 8, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Now notice verse 10, and this is powerful. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest where? In our body, the earthen vessel that God has given to us. So when God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts, in our earthen vessels, we are bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in this earthen vessel so that the oil of the Holy Spirit shines forth through our lives so that we become a living manifestation of the life of Jesus here on this earth 
earth. So if you want to know what it's like to be a wise virgin, it means that the life of Jesus is shining forth through your life. And this happens when we experience the power and the love of Jesus at the foot of the cross. And when we experience the power and the love of Jesus at the foot of the cross, it makes us want to be with him in the kingdom of heaven forever. One of the problems with many Seventh-day Adventists today is that we're satisfied with a long-distance relationship with Jesus. We talk about Jesus, we sing about him, we even pray, but we're satisfied with whatever the reality of life here is on this earth, and we start to say, this life isn't that bad. I've got a pretty nice house, I'm living in the country. I've got a nice piece of land, look at my garden, look at my berry patch, look at all of these things that I have going. This is a nice life. Well, Jesus can come someday, but I like it here right now. No courting couple in their right mind would be satisfied with a permanent long-distance relationship. And yet many Seventh-day Adventists live that way towards Jesus. So here we see the wise and the foolish. The wise have the oil in their vessels. The Holy Spirit has come into this treasure known as our earthen vessel, which allows the life of Jesus to be made manifest in our body. And the Holy Ghost is shed abroad in our hearts by the love of God which has been given to us. And that's connected to Romans 5 where we're justified by faith. So those who have the Holy Spirit, those who have the life of Jesus made manifest in their body, have the experience of justification by faith, which is the third angel's message in verity, which is living the righteous life of Jesus by faith, not only a legal declaration. But the reality is in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 25, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Friends, we are living in the tarrying time right now. Jesus went into the most holy place in 1844, some 171 years ago, and we are waiting for him to come out of the most holy place, to take off his priestly garments and to put on his kingly garments, to come back as king of kings and lord of lords. And after a while, it almost becomes a cliche. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. My parents believe that. My grandparents believe that. My my great-grandparents believe that. I had a great-grandfather that was in Minneapolis at the 1888 General Conference session. He wasn't a delegate, but he attended. I mean, how long are we going to keep going with this? And yet the reality is that as we've become sleepy with this message, a day is coming that every single truth-believing Seventh-day Adventist is going to wake up from that sleepy state. Now let me read to you a couple of statements from Ellen White about the wise and the foolish virgins. This is Review and Herald, 8, August 19, 1890 again. In the parable, the ten virgins had lamps, but only five of them had the saving oil with which to keep their lamps burning. This represents the condition of the church. The wise and the foolish have their Bibles and are provided with all the means of grace, but many do not appreciate the fact that they must have 
the heavenly unction. Now let me read you something even um, more startling about the condition of the wise and the foolish virgins. This is Christ's Object Lessons, page 411. The class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. Did you hear that? The class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. They have a regard for the truth. They have advocated the truth. They are attracted to those who believe the truth. But they have not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's working. They have not fallen upon the rock Christ Jesus and permitted their old nature to be broken up. This is the amazing thing. You have a class of Seventh-day Adventists who are not hypocrites. They have a regard for the truth. They love the truths of the three angels' messages. They advocate the truth. That means they could be the preachers up front. They are attracted to those who believe the truth but they have not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's working. They have not fallen upon the rock, Christ Jesus, and permitted their old nature to be broken up. Scripture makes it very clear that those who have a saving walk with Jesus have surrendered completely. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. In Galatians 2, 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, he says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And in verse 7, he says, for he that is dead is freed from sin. And the marginal reading for freed from sin is he that is dead is justified. And the amazing thing is that when you come to Romans chapter 7, Paul speaks in Romans chapter 7 verse 1 to them that know the law. And you know what? There is still one church on the face of this earth that knows the law. It's the remnant church of Bible prophecy who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And in the first four verses, Paul says that old man needs to be crucified so that the body of sin will be destroyed because you're married to this old man, that carnal nature that's causing you to be in slavery to sin. And what we need is for that old man to die so that we can be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. And in Romans 4.25, it says Jesus was raised again for our justification. And in Romans 6, verse 4, it says that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Here's the key. Jesus was crucified for us. And as we see that love that he has for us, our heart responds in love to him so that the old man of sin dies as we surrender our life to Jesus. As the old man dies, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we're raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father so that we live a new life, the righteous life of faith. And the amazing thing is, is not only do we live the new life of faith, but Romans 7 says we enter into a spiritual marriage with Christ. 
And that spiritual marriage with Christ, as Ephesians 5 says, the, the union between a man and a woman is entering into the experience of being one flesh. But Paul says, this is a great mystery, and I speak concerning Christ and the church. To be crucified with Christ, to be surrendered to him, allows you to enter into a spiritual union with Christ where you become one flesh with him. This is the mystery of God, which Revelation 10 says the Advent movement was raised up to complete. And the wise virgins of Matthew chapter 25 have fallen upon the rock Christ Jesus and have been broken the old nature has been broken. They live a converted life. They have communion with Christ. Now as I wrap up here, something happens that causes every single truth-believing Adventist to wake up. And I want to read to you Christ's Object Lessons, page 412. It is in a crisis that character is revealed. We all know that, right? We can all be pretty nice here today at church, smile and say happy Sabbath and all look like we have it all put together, that the love of Jesus is just flowing through us and we're on our way to the kingdom. But you know what happens when you go home and something goes wrong at home or you get a flat tire on the drive home and you're, you're kicking the tire and losing your temper, it is in a crisis that character is revealed. When the earnest voice proclaimed at midnight, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. And the sleeping virgins were roused from their slumbers. It was seen who had made preparation for the event. Both parties, notice this, even the converted, both parties were taken unawares, but one was prepared for the emergency and the other was found without preparation. No, notice the next sentence. So now, a sudden an unlooked-for calamity, something that brings the soul face-to-face -face with death, will show whether there is any real faith in the promises of God. It will show whether the soul is sustained by grace. Ellen White tells us that a sudden, unlooked-for calamity is going to come to this world that is going to cause everybody to wake up, and it will be seen then what our character is really like. Let me tell you something. It's not enough to know the truth about Jesus. That's a good start, but it's not enough. The question where the rubber meets the road is, what is your daily Christian experience like? And it starts in your home, in your family. What is your family life like? How are you relating to the people that you are closest to, to your spouse and to your children and children, to, to your parents? How do you relate to the ones that you are closest to? Is the grace of Jesus flowing through your life so that your family can testify to the fact that you have been converted by the grace of Jesus? When the crises of life come, and they do, 
The trials are there. Many of you are probably going through severe testing and trying times even now. Are you holding on by faith to the promises of God because you have learned by experience that God is a merciful and a gracious God who will be with you through the fiery trial? Or are you becoming more and more like the children of Israel who says, oh God, let me out here to die in the wilderness? A final test is coming. A sudden, unlooked-for calamity. I don't know what it may be. It could be a total economic collapse or a nuclear bomb or a terrible earthquake, something of that nature that will precipitate the final crisis. But whatever it is, it's going to lead to the giving of the midnight cry, which prophetically is the loud cry of Revelation 18, where an angel comes down from heaven having great power or authority, and the earth is lightened or illuminated with its glory, because here you have the Advent movement illuminated under the power of the Holy Spirit with people who have the extra oil, who are demonstrating the character of God to the world, and they cry mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Those who have the extra oil will go forth with the loud cry message. And it's at that time that the foolish virgins are going to come to the wise and say, please give us of your oil. We don't have it. But listen, friends, you can't buy a conversion experience from your pastor or even your spouse. We all need that oil ourselves. And so the bridegroom came, they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, the door was shut. Then afterwards also came the other version saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. 1 John 4, 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God. When Jesus utters those tragic words, I know you not, he will be saying, I know you not because you never loved me. Do you love Jesus? Is he the chiefest among 10,000 for you? Or is he just someone that you talk about once a week at church and five minutes a day for family worship? Jesus should be the dearest and the chiefest among 10,000 for each one of us. And when Jesus comes back, when the bridegroom comes, he is coming for those who love him. And I'm going to close with a statement from Christ Object Lessons, page 418. Those who wait for the bridegroom's coming are to say to the people, Behold your God. The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of love. The children of God are to manifest his glory in their own life and character. They are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. And as I bring this to a close, now I want to make an appeal, and this isn't for everyone, but we have a large congregation of Seventh-day Adventists here today. And it would go without saying that there are wise and foolish virgins in this congregation and the only one who knows is God and perhaps you. And the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart and you are realizing as you've heard this message today and as the Spirit has been speaking to you, you are saying, you know what, I'm not a, a, an evil servant. I believe that Jesus is coming again and I'm I'm attracted to that message, but you know what? In my daily life, I have not yielded myself to Jesus. 
When the trials of life come, my faith collapses. I get angry and bitter and I lose my temper. And the the grace and the oil of the Holy Spirit has not refined my heart. It's still hard as a rock. And I realize that Jesus is coming soon. The signs are around us in the world and in the church. All of the things that are taking place point to this culmination of the climax of the ages. And I want to be ready. I need that extra oil in my vessel, in my earthen treasure of my life. I need the grace of Jesus to transform me so that I will be converted. And you're saying, you know what? Today is the beginning of a new day in my walk with Jesus as a Seventh-day Adventist. Not only am I going to defend the truth, but by the grace of God, Jesus is going to live the truth through my life so that people will say, this person has been touched by Jesus. Now, this is not for everyone, but if you are under conviction that you need a change and a turn, a turning around and a new walk, a new experience, listen, this is camp meeting. These are the times where God brings his people together to pour out his spirit. I would invite you to come down to the front. We're going to have a special prayer for those who would say, I need to turn my heart and my mind and my life completely to Jesus. It's late in earth's history. And listen, don't worry about what other people around you may think about you. You're coming for Jesus, not for your, your friend or your spouse or anyone else. You're coming for Jesus. Jesus has given all for you. And he's looking for a group of people that are going to give all for him. Jesus is coming soon. And he's offering that extra oil to pour into the vessel of our life so that God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness is going to shine in our hearts so that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ will be seen in our lives so that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Friends, Jesus is coming soon. His spirit is moving. And I'm under conviction that now is the time to wake up. Now is the time to be ready for Jesus to come. Amen? As far as possible, I would invite you to kneel with me as we pray. Father in heaven, We are so grateful for your goodness to each one of us. That you have been merciful to us. That you have tarried. You have delayed. Because you want as many of us to be ready for that day when you come. We see your spirit moving upon this church. That you are raising up a people who will be filled with your spirit, filled with your love, with a message to the world of the character of your love, that people will be attracted to the loveliness of Jesus, that they will be attracted to the truth as it is in Jesus, not to just a theory, but to a practice, to a lifestyle that is Jesus all in all. Lord, I pray for forgiveness where we have known the truth, but we have not lived the truth. 
And we're thankful for your mercy to each one of us that you would pour out your spirit to us despite of our past sinfulness. And you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. And so I just pray that from this day forward, as we live by faith, that you would pour out your oil, your spirit into our hearts, to our vessels, and that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our body. May we be faithful until you come, I pray. In Jesus' name, This video was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.